The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Acts 20, 7 through 16. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene, and sailed from there. We came, and sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is always uh, a joy and a privilege to be with you. Every time I come here, I can't help but be reminded of God's faithfulness. It wasn't so long ago that uh, I remember you all, being with you all at the, at the hotel, at the Embassy Suites. And it wasn't so long before that where Christ Pres Cool Springs wasn't even a thing. And so, again, it's, it's hard not to be overwhelmed by God's uh, faithfulness when, when I uh, get to come to Cool Springs. Thank you for having me again. My name is Lee Eric Fesco. Uh, and pastor discipleship for Christ Presbyterian Church. Uh, again, a joy to be with you. Join me in a word of prayer uh, as we begin uh, our time together. Dear Lord, we pause to say thank you. Thank you for your word. Uh, what a miracle it is. Though written down by the hands of man, these words that we read are inspired. These are your words. You've written down these words for us to read, to, to take in, to chew, and to digest. And Lord, that will all be in vain if you don't send your Holy Spirit here to illumine our hearts and our minds and, and help us to understand your word. Do this, we pray. It's in the name of Christ that we ask for this. Amen. My uh, wife and I, uh, her name is Tracy, and uh, we have two boys. And those two boys are now almost 16 and 17. So we have a couple of extra drivers in the house now. And, and when you're learning to drive, there, there's all kinds of anxiety that accompanies the learning experience. Because as you know, when you're driving, a mistake can be very costly. I remember both when my brother and I started driving. I have an older brother. He's 20 months older than, than me. And it must have been when he was around 16 or 17. He got into a car accident. And fortunately, it wasn't a serious one. No one was, was hurt. But the accident was as a result of his impatience. He, he, was, he was tired of waiting for someone in front of him, so he tried to pull around them, and in the process, he, he hit a car. Now, when he came home, it was my mother who had a few choice words for him. 
My mom was never one to let a, a teachable moment pass by, and so she talked to him about his impatience and, and how good, how good the Lord is. How good the Lord is that the result of his impatience was only damage done to material things and no, no bodily injury, no people were hurt. She said, you should be thankful for that. She said, but, but remember why this happened. The Lord is trying to teach you something about patience, John. It was a good lesson. Then it was around the time when I was 18 or 19 years old. Well, never one to want to be outdone by my older brother. I got into a car accident. Once again, thankfully, no one was hurt, but it was my fault. Uh, it did cause significant damage to my vehicle, to my parents' vehicle, uh, and to the vehicle of which I pulled out in front. I was, I was turning left. I was turning left in uh, an effort to go to McDonald's uh, to get the two-cheeseburger meal, I remember. I was hungry. I, left turns can be so dangerous. Uh, I, w I was cutting across bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, so there are two lanes, and I was cutting across those lanes, it was a complete standstill, and as I was moving across, I waved thank you for letting me go, not realizing there was still yet a third lane, a turning lane that was completely unoccupied until I was in it. And then I met the other car that was coming up uh, along that turning lane, and uh, I crossed in front of it, collided with the car, and my efforts, efforts to obtain the, the two small cheeseburgers were dashed, no more. I was T-boned, as they say, right in the passenger door. Again, significant damage. I was unhurt, thankfully. So later that day, I came home, and uh, it was time to face my mother. Uh, I was prepared both emotionally and spiritually to hear about the lesson she was going to impart to me, to tell me what all this is for, why the Lord would allow such a thing to happen when all I wanted was a little lunch, so rather than wait for her to, to unload on me, I went directly to her and I asked, why? Tell me why. Why do you think this happened? What is the Lord trying to teach me here, Mom? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> you seem to be a careful driver. I don't know. Maybe that you should have had a more nutritional lunch. <laughs> I don't know. And to be honest, I was, I was a bit disappointed. I wanted answers. I wanted immediate answers. Because no, I was not injured, but for a young driver, this, this is very traumatic. You know, I've ruined something very valuable. And, and there must be a reason for it. Why would God go make me go through something like that? Please, Mom, tell me. Tell me you've got something more than I don't know. How many events in your life have you had the desire to inquire of the Lord why? Why, why did you let that happen, Lord? There are about six things that come to the surface of my mind right away. And here's the thing. Yes, whatever God allows, which, which, by the way, is everything, whatever happens, happens because God ordains it. And if, if God is God, and he is, at the very least we have to say that whatever happens, he allows it to happen. Because if he is a sovereign God in control of everything, then he can stop whatever he wants from happening. And sometimes he doesn't. Clearly, there are some events in life that he allows to happen, which we frequently can't help but ask him, why? Uh, the passage that Sandy just read for us a moment ago, uh, I have to admit is an odd account. We're, we're only focusing on the, the Eutychus portion of, of the scripture. It's almost a sidebar. Why is it here? It's a short account 
placed in the middle of a larger one. It's wedged between the comings and goings of the Apostle Paul and what is presumably his third missionary journey. There are all kinds of details here. And then this short passage. It makes you want to ask why. Why is this here? Why is this somewhat odd account here in the middle of everything else? This is a story about falling asleep in church. Admittedly, this would be an awkward week for any of us to fall asleep in church. Okay, I want you to know, I can see everything from up here. I can see everything. So we have this passage about falling asleep in church, and the person who fell asleep in this passage died. So please pay attention. Okay, <laughs> This passage tells us something about how the early church worshipped. This passage, we say, is not prescriptive, but it's descriptive. It's not giving us an exhaustive manual for how we should conduct worship, but it's describing how the early church often did it. And there are lessons you can draw from it. Teachable moments. So the first thing I want you to notice, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along here, is verse 7 tells us they gathered on the first day of the week to worship. The church came together on Sunday, as opposed to the traditional Jewish Sabbath day, which was, which was the last day of the week. So, so why the change? Have you ever stopped to contemplate that? Why do we go from Saturday to Sunday? Why do we move our worship from the last day of the week to Sunday, the first day of the week? Well, yes, certainly we worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, because Jesus was raised from the dead on a Sunday. It has everything to do with resurrection. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended upon his church, it too was on a Sunday. You can read in Revelation 1 and 1 Corinthians 16, the first day of the week is called the Lord's Day. All good reasons to worship on a Sunday instead of Saturday. But, but I want you to understand the symbolism too. Don't miss the symbolism of what, what's being set up here. Also rooted in resurrection. It's not just that the apostles decided, hey, why don't we change it to Sunday since Jesus rose on Sunday? No, it's not just that. Look at the image the Lord has created. In the same way we think about salvation, okay, it all centers around Jesus, the, the focal point of history. The focal point of redemptive history is Jesus Christ, all right? The saints of the Old Testament, when we think about salvation, the saints of the Old Testament were saved in the same way that the saints of the New Testament were saved. Did you ever contemplate that? In the Old Testament, the saints looked forward. They looked forward and anticipated the arrival of the Lamb of God. They looked forward in faith to God's provision. In the same manner, the saints of the New Testament, and you and me for that matter, we look back. We look back on the completed work of the Lamb of God. We look back in faith to God's provision. It all still centers around Jesus. All right. With that in mind, from creation... From creation until Christ, the people of God worked six days and then rested on the seventh. This was a picture of their looking forward, looking forward to anticipating eternal rest, anticipating a work to be completed. But after the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ, we rest. We rest on the first day of the week, and the next six days we look back on the finished work of Christ. We're working from a position of rest. We rest in the completed work of Christ. See that picture? So our Sunday worship is a declaration in our belief in the finished work of Christ. Having said that, we still anticipate. 
We still gather here anticipating. Though, though Christ's work is finished, his work is finished, we still eagerly anticipate. We still await the day when we enter into the eternal rest, when we gather together at the wedding feast, when Christ the bridegroom is finally united with the church, his bride. His work is finished, yet we look forward to the completion of all things. So until that day, you and I, we gather on the Lord's day. What's the next thing the text tells us? The next thing we learn is that when they gathered together for worship, they purposed to break bread. They would observe the sacrament, the, the same thing that we're, we're going to do uh, at the conclusion of this service. The institution that Jesus himself set aside and said, do this in remembrance of me, he said. So if Paul is going to worship with the church, he would break bread with them. Their worship moved toward the sacrament. And the apex of worship is the observation of the Lord's Supper. But before they were able to break bread, before they reached that point in their worship service, there was an interruption. Something happened. I want you to, to picture the scene with me. The space is likely crowded. The early church, yes, often met in places like synagogues, but outside of Jerusalem, there weren't very many of them, you know, as, as the gospel began to spread around the known world. So many early church gatherings took place in homes. So as you might imagine, space was often tight with limited seating. It was dark. From verse 7, we can assume that Paul began speaking at some point that day and then decided to extend his sermon until midnight. How long do I have today? The words used in the Greek here suggest that the sermon included a bit of dialogue. Okay, we, we can pick that up from verse 11 too. So it wasn't always just Paul talking, but what you have to remember here is unlike you and me, they couldn't just say, okay, open your Bibles to Colossians, right? Chapter one, they couldn't do that. No, the canon of scripture still is many years away from being affirmed by the church, but, but, but who was with them on this Lord's day? It was the apostle Paul. One of the Bible's authors, in person. And as you know, since they don't have the full canon of Scripture yet, Paul has, has, has he's got to get them caught up. There's been a lot that's happened. He's got lots to say, and they probably have a lot to ask. It's crowded. There's limited seating. It's late. It's getting dark in the room. It's likely stuffy. And even the air, even the air maybe felt oily from all the lamps that, that were providing some light for the room. And this went on for a while. So we shouldn't think it unusual that a young man named Eutychus was, was sitting on the third-story window ledge, a spot which would have provided some fresh air. He fell into a deep sleep, and it says, Paul still talked longer. <laughs> the young man, sound asleep, fell out of the window, three stories down, and he died. Now, here's what I want you to focus on a bit. It's easy to lend a bit of sympathy to a young man. I mean, a sermon going on six, seven, eight, nine hours long. A dark, muggy, crowded room. Who could blame him for falling asleep? Back when I was in seminary, there were uh, two components uh, to my final, final exams. Yes, every semester you had finals, but when you were ready to graduate, you had to take exit exams to make sure you really learned all the things that you were supposed to learn while you were there. So, so you had to turn in your thesis, you, you, you take a written exit exams, and then you sit through oral examinations fielding all the questions about all, any of the subjects that you'd studied while you were there, and, and also to defend your thesis. And, and when it was during one of the oral examinations, me sitting across from four or five professors, 
and they were peppering me with, with questions. And, and at one point, there was a professor who asked me a question. To be honest, I don't remember what the question was, but he asked the question, and I began to answer it. And I promise you, it wasn't 60 seconds into my response when I noticed his eyes were getting heavy. <laughs> Naturally, I was distracted by this because in my head I'm thinking, have I bored him inside of a, a minute to fall asleep? You know, I'm, I'm thinking that while I'm still trying to focus on, on the, the question I'm trying to answer. So my mind is divided at this point, and I start to stutter. And, and you would think that my stuttering would snap him out of his drowsiness, but it didn't. Then his eyes just completely closed. I'm, staring across, I'm, I'm answering a question to a man whose eyes are completely closed right now. I thought, do I keep going? <laughs> so I wrapped it up. I wrapped it up no, not knowing where to go next with my answer. And I think I even finished my answer by saying, the end. <laughs> and then his eyes opened. <laughs> Certainly I was shocked. I was shocked in that moment. I'm trying to finish school. I'm trying, to, I'm, trying to get to, I'm trying to step into whatever's next for me, my job, my vocation. It's kind of a big deal. And I'm really feeling the pressure of wanting to do well on these exams. It's really important for me. And the one I'm speaking to is falling asleep. Was I offended? Yeah, I didn't pass. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I was offended. I was bothered. My future is on the line here. Stand up, man. Go get some coffee. Do something. Show me that you think that what I'm saying is important to you. Now, now let me ask a hard question here. Was it, was it disrespectful to fall asleep? Was it disrespectful of Eutychus to fall asleep? Was it wrong for Eutychus to fall asleep while listening to Paul's sermon? Listen here, I, I'm not here to wag my finger at, at, at Eutychus. Do you know why? When I read about Eutychus, well, it's like looking in a mirror. Think about what's happening here. What is Paul doing? He's delivering nothing less than the word of God. The gravity the all-sufficiency, the life-giving nature of what he's hearing. The only way you could confidently say that you're receiving the word of God is if it came by way of God's appointed messenger, like Moses. God's anointed who spoke, as we're told in Exodus 33, face-to-face -face with God as a man speaks to his friend. Moses was appointed to receive God's word and to deliver it to, his, to, to the people. It's God's word. God's word. The prophets of the Old Testament... People like Isaiah who encountered the Lord, as we read in Isaiah 6, high and lifted up. He received the word of the Lord and delivered, it to the, delivered this word to the people. God's word. It's God's word. In fact, I don't know if you're aware, but we might get the impression from the Old Testament that, that miracles just sort of happened all the time. But that's not quite the case. The Lord, he himself does miraculous things all the time. The Lord has never been out of the business of doing miraculous things. He's always doing miraculous things. Whenever he regenerates a heart, whenever he turns a heart of, of stone into a heart of flesh, that's miraculous. But there have actually been precious few eras in redemptive history where we see a, a preponderance of miracles, where the Lord miraculously works through people, where his appointed servants would, for instance, speak on his behalf, thus saith the Lord, or, or heal people. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of that. There's, there's less of that than you, than you probably realize. And whenever the Lord would send someone to speak on his behalf, miracles were the instrument by which their role or office was validated. 
So, so there were three errors in the Bible where there was a preponderance of miracles. Three errors in the Bible where the Lord would reveal himself and would use people, ordinary people, as the instrument to reveal himself. The first error was around the time of Moses. Moses was the Lord's chosen to deliver the law, God's revelation of who he is to his people. And his role was validated by miraculous works as he interceded between God and man. The next error was the error of the prophets with people like Elisha and Elijah and extending through prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel and all the minor prophets. The Lord was revealing to them his word, having them speak on his behalf, the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Then the third miraculous error was around the time of Jesus. Again, another revelation of God. The revealed word of God, the, the word of God incarnate and during, the, during his ministry on earth was one with a preponderance of miracles to validate who he was, who he said he was. But he also appointed apostles. Jesus appointed apostles to speak on his behalf, to carry forth his message. And he had to personally, firsthand, appoint these apostles so they could go do his work. Appointed by Christ himself to, to be the apostle to the Gentiles, it was Paul. To, to, to bring the, the gospel to places like Troas, the church where Eutychus sat in a window. Eutychus, do you know who this is? Do you know what he's saying? Don't fall asleep, Eutychus. Eutychus, it's an apostle. Just a couple of summers ago, my family anticipated the biggest movie release in years, one that would have been delayed by COVID numerous times. It was the follow-up to the 1986 blockbuster Top Gun. We were so excited when they announced the release date of this movie, but not as excited as my brother. You know, my older brother, I told you about at the start of the sermon. My, my brother is a seminary professor and a preacher now, but, but there was once a time when he envisioned himself becoming a jet fighter pilot for the Navy. But his dreams of flying aircraft gave way to bigger dreams of, of going to seminary. <laughs> Understandably, right? Well, it just so happened then when, when Top Gun 2 came out a couple of years ago, my brother and his family were scheduled to visit us from, from Mississippi, and they'd be arriving uh, the evening before the movie released in theaters. So I said, hey, John, Top Gun is coming out when you guys are here. Let's reserve our tickets now, and we'll take the whole family, all the kids, and we'll all go see it together. And he tells me, oh, I've already seen it. But I would watch it again, he says. I'm like, how did you see it? How did you see it? It's not even out yet. Well, I got special access. I got to, I got to see a preview. Well, isn't that great for you? Congratulations. <laughs> would you like to join the rest of us plebeians to go see it on the regular time? Eutychus, you might say, was seeing a preview. He was getting a special sneak preview. He was listening to the live words of the apostle. The apostle would be the primary author of the New Testament. He was speaking nothing short of nothing less than the word of God. Eutychus, don't fall asleep. This is huge. This is so important. You have no idea. Do you realize what we hold in our hands when we hold the Bible? Do you realize what this is? This is nothing short of, nothing less than the word of God Almighty. These are his words. These are his words penned by the apostles and prophets under divine inspiration. The word of God Almighty. Don't sleep on it. Do we ever sleep on it? Do we ever tire of it? You see, we're no different than Eutychus. 
Eutychus, here are the words of life. But it's hot and it's late and it's stuffy in here. The guy talking has been going on a while. But they're words of life, Eutychus. There's nothing more important, Eutychus. I know, but I'm tired and I've had a long week. Let me just, let me just close my eyes a little. And when he closed his eyes, he fell to his death. Do you see, what we shouldn't think here is, oh, oh God understands, he would understand. You, you see, what you should pull out of this is understanding our weakness. This, this highlights our weakness. That, that's why we have sympathy for the guy, because we can't do it either. And that's the problem. We're sinful people. We're weak. We know what's expected of us, yet we sleep. You see, God can't wink at sin at any level, no matter how small. God can't say, oh, well, it's understandable. I get that it's a stuffy room. I get that it's okay. He can't say that. He, he can never give any sin, no matter how small a sin we think it is, no matter how understandable we think it is, he can never, ever give it a pass because he's that holy. Every last one of us has stood before the Lord who gives us words of life and we've fallen asleep. We're not only asleep, we've fallen and we've died. God can't, can't give our sin no matter how small. He can't give it a pass. But what he does give us is grace. He's a God of grace. Eutychus falling asleep in church, a true story, a real-life event that happened in history, while real, is also emblematic of our inability to hold on to Christ. We can't do it. We can't do it because of our sin nature. So of course he fell asleep. Of course we fall asleep. But as I said, he gives us grace. He says, I can't dismiss your sin. I can't ignore it. I can't set aside your ability to hold on to me, but I will hold on to you. I will take your sin. I won't dismiss it, but I will account for it. And I'll place it on my son. Your sin doesn't just vanish. It goes on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And this is where grace is extended to Eutychus and to you, as me, and you and me as well. Verse 10, he says, But Paul went down and bent over him, taking him by his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Eutychus was raised, not because Paul felt bad for him, but because every miracle in the Bible Every miracle performed in the Bible has a redemptive view in mind, a pointer to God's sufficiency to account for our inability. There are no naked displays of power in in the Bible. Any miracle that you read about in the Bible, every miracle in the Bible is a sermon preached, which ultimately leads to resurrection. Every miracle in the Bible points forward, either points forward to the work of Christ points forward to what Christ would accomplish on the cross or points forward to what Christ would ultimately do when he comes and with him, the new heavens and the new earth. It all points forward. It all points to resurrection. And because of that work, because Christ was righteous, because Christ was righteous, because he was sinless and righteous, when he was placed in the grave, the grave couldn't hold him down. Death comes for sinners. And, and we're told in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. And since Christ committed no sin, the grave opened up and he walked out. And because that righteousness is applied to you, not only did Christ take on your sin, but he gave you his righteousness. 
you have been declared righteous because of Christ's work applied to you. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, the Apostle Paul tells us, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Christ was the first resurrection of many to come. Of many to come. There are those in Christ who have fallen asleep and he promises, he assures us, the resurrection is the deposit which tells of the resurrection of those to follow him. After the resurrection of Christ, we're told in Matthew 27 that that after the crucifixion, that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. But not only that, did you catch this detail too? The earth shook and the rocks were split. Among the rocks that were split were those that sealed the tombs of the saints who had already died. So literally, the, the, the tombs that were sealed shut with these stones, when the earth shook, those tombs came open. And they just sat open. And then after his resurrection, it was as if his resurrection created a reverberation, a ripple effect, an aftershock. And Matthew 27, 52, 53 says, the tombs were also opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. The resurrection of of Christ will have an effect on all the saints. On all the saints who have fallen asleep in the Lord, including Eutychus, including, including you and me too. Because we're all united in Christ, though we sleep... Though we sleep in the Lord today, we'll be raised up, we'll be resurrected, and we will be made new. At the time, no, my mom didn't know. She she didn't have a profound lesson for me as to why the Lord allowed me to, to wreck the car. But that doesn't mean there wasn't a lesson. And just like us, it's certainly like me. I, I want to know what the reason is right now, in this moment. Why does God do what he does? Why does he allow things that he does? But sometimes we have to back up and look at the bigger redemptive picture that he's painting and look for resurrection. Believe it or not, all in, I think it took more than two months for them to repair the car that that I wrecked. I think it was one of those things where they initially brought in the car and says, I think it'll be a few thousand dollars that ended up being way more than they ever anticipated, but they rebuilt it. They rebuilt it like I've never seen before. It took more than two months to repair the vehicle. I thought I had wrecked beyond repair. I remember when they told us it was finished, that we could go pick it up. I remember feeling apprehensive about that because I thought there was no way. There's no way. You, you, You can't create that much damage and not have some kind of after effect in the way that the car looks or the way the car drives. There's no way. When they said it was ready, it was my brother who drove me there, and I drove the repaired car home. And as I drove it, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It was truly like new. In fact, it was better than new. Because not only was the side of the car that was damaged completely repaired, but they, but they repainted the whole car. So that when it looked new, I mean, it looked brand new. And I had this moment of overwhelming gratitude. I made this enormous mistake I caused thousands of dollars worth of damage, and now I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm uninjured. And now the car? The car sits in the garage, 
better than it was before, as if nothing had ever happened. It was okay. Everything was, everything was okay. Upon realizing this, I fell to my face and I thanked the Lord. And I wept. I was a 19-year-old young man on my face, weeping before the Lord, thanking him for his goodness. Was that typical behavior for 19-year-old Lee Eric? No, it wasn't. It was not. In fact, I don't ever recall having done that before, but this might be the first time I got a palpable sense of God's goodness, of his grace, of his goodness that says, though you fall asleep on me, I will restore you. He tells us how I will make you new. I will resurrect you, not because of your ability to hold on to me, but because of my ability to hold on to you. And as a result, the Lord looks upon you and says, for his life is in him. Her life is in her. And after Paul raised this young man back to life, the text tells us that he continued on. He continued on as he intended before the unplanned interruption and he broke bread, and then continued preaching until daybreak, another six hours or so. Friends, we're going to do the same thing. Not the six hours part, but we're going to pause now, and we're going to thank the Lord for raising us. We're going to thank the Lord for, for giving us life, for bringing us back to life, and then we're going to break bread together. Please pray with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you didn't leave us to wallow in sin. That you didn't leave us asleep dead in sin. But you gave us your word. And you gave us the word incarnate. And you brought us back to life. You raised your son from the grave and now you give us the assurance that you will do the very same thing for us. You have done it and you will do it. Help us to treasure your word and keep it in our hearts as we await the day when your son returns and makes all things new. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.